0: Hello, my name is Declan Dineen, welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's show is Alexis Kennedy. Uh, Alexis founded uh, Fail Better Games and created their, their first game, Fallen London. He went on to um, create uh, Sunless Sea. He was the, the lead writer on that, also. It uh, was nominated for a. Uh, Writers Guild of Great Britain award for best writing in a video game. He's a very talented writer, and as you'll hear on the show, he then um, left Fail Better Games, the company that he founded, essentially to try and kind of refill his uh, creative juices. And and as of just a few days ago, in fact, he announced that he was uh, going to be working with Bioware. He was the very first guest writer at Bioware on a, on an unannounced project. I recorded this chat with with Alexis uh, a little while ago, maybe a month or two ago, and when I heard this news about Bioware, I got in touch. And so at the end of the episode, there's an extra little bit where we talk about his, his uh, recent announcement and how he's now going to work at Bioware and how, how exciting a prospect that is. There is some uh, judicious editing in that little section as well because uh, he was a little bit too excited. But it was great, and this is a really, really good chat. I really, uh, really thoroughly enjoyed it talking to alexis uh to celebrate the 50th episode of the show last week i launched a patreon yes right there i'm right there asking you for money straight away um now genuinely like a huge thanks to the people that uh, have already decided to to patronize the the podcast it is a genuine help um and i'm not looking for, for much i'm basically just trying to cover my costs so the the show doesn't cost me anything anymore so if you do have an extra couple of quid and you're a fan of the show please do consider um throwing a pound or two hour away there's a, a link in the in the show notes or you can just go to patreon.com forward slash checkpoints um honestly thanks so much for that uh if you, if you don't have any money or you don't want to pay any money for the, the patreon then that's absolutely fine but if you do enjoy the show please do uh, tell a friend I'm always keen on on branching out and you know creating as big an audience as I can for the show because I'm really proud of it and I think you know, the, the guests are consistently like really fascinating. I, I work very hard on getting, you know, interesting people, people that you, you may not, you know, have heard of necessarily even in some cases, but that have amazing stories and show real clear passion and, and insight, the sort of stuff that you, you don't get anywhere else essentially. So please do share it around, share links, social media, all that stuff is, is hugely uh, appreciated. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email, it's checkpointspodcast at com or it's facebook.com forward slash checkpoints podcast or it's at checkpoints show on twitter it's very important to have consistent branding um i will be around at the games are for everyone event in edinburgh next month um you should check that out if, you, if you're local and you're able to go along um the we throw switches guys uh, andrew and craig put on really great events i, I met them they actually featured in the the Game Jam episode way back at the start of the year. And they're lovely guys and really know the games. And there's a lot of uh, exciting stuff uh, that is going to be there available to play. I'm hoping I put them in touch with uh, Bennett from last episode. So I'm hoping that there will be a, a version of Bowl there. And I put them in touch for purely selfish reasons because I really want to play that game. So that would be very exciting. I'll be hopefully making a, a note Save special all about that. Um, So you can look forward to that in the future. Also another reason to... Uh, <laughs> support the patreon and it enables me to to make even more ambitious uh to save episodes if you do enjoy that part of the show okay i think that's it let's keep it short and punchy um let's get on with my chat this week with uh, alexis i'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest but until then hope you have a wonderful week thanks again for listening let's get on with the show It certainly is, yeah, uh, I think for a little while, I maybe still am, but I am the only dalandonine in the uk which is uh, which is good it's, it's useful for things like this, like doing the podcast because i'm I'm easily searchable. you will only find me if you search for Dalandonine, which is good which I
1: did, in fact yeah
0: and uh, yeah, and all the various odd things that I've been up to um okay, so Alexis, are you, are you good to go, are you' comfortable, you have drinks and you're you're fine um so we'll do a, a formal introduction for the the sake of the show so alexis thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today welcome to the show uh, you. if you don't mind would you introduce yourself
1: i am alexis kennedy um i am no longer creative director of foul Battle games although i guess i'm still uh, the founder uh i'm now freelancing at Weather Factory which I guess is technically a micro studio although I don't imagine we'll push it at any games for a while. I'm mostly doing bits and bobs of narrative design and writing for a variety of people because after seven years running a medium-sized indie studio uh, I just wanted to get some of the gunge out of my uh, brain and try a, a variety of different things and my enthusiasm is, is consistently uh, the overlap of writing and narrative design. But uh, that's a really wide field now. It's a lot wider than when I started, far better. So I wanted to get as much experience as I could with
0: what else was out there. What do you mean by gunge? I mean that, um,
1: two things. Firstly, uh, you found a business, uh, especially as the business grows, even if it's a small creative business run by basically hippies then um, you spend a lot more time doing payroll, tax planning, uh, strategy, uh, meets and greets, and l- less time doing creative work. So, you know, the reason I stepped down for Valbetta was in large part because I got very bored of all that stuff. The other thing is that game design uh, is an outstandingly complex uh discipline and writing similarly because there's so many different ways you can do things in and you have to settle on some assumptions about the way things work in order to get anything ever done or all you'd ever do is write blogging think pieces and i spent seven years building fail better into an organization that did the kind of narrative design and the kind of games design that i was comfortable with the kind of writing i was comfortable with extremely effectively and that meant that some of those assumptions got baked into our processes and into my thinking. Okay. And I wanted to to try to do things that uh, uh, used other people's assumptions uh, to shake the my thoughts free.
0: Yeah, because I mean, I'm I'm sure running the studio, you become not blinkered, but you know, you have so many things to focus on. You don't really get to kind of explore things in in the same way you would when you're like classically when people are students, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, I would say blinkered, uh, I think you have to be blinkered because if you are working to a production schedule, you have to make certain assumptions. You have to say that, that you know, we, we have these house um, style rules, we have these approaches, here are things we do, here are things we never do. And I've been working with people since I left who um, who, who have some best practices that are identical to fail better because they are, you know, universal best practices and some who, because all these things are subjective and versatile, have done completely the opposite. And it's 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 very refreshing, you know. I wouldn't say either side is right, but I wouldn't say either side is wrong. It's incredibly heavy sounding. It all comes back to to you know you have to choose certain assumptions to navigate by yeah. you anything done. But you you need to shake up those, those assumptions once in a while if you want to stay creative.
0: Yeah, and I, I think like consciously making a decision to do that is like is a huge thing, and I think it's it'll, it'll prove to be hugely useful. Like. Sure. I often think that, like university, should be maybe something you do every twenty-five years. Like I think it'd just be so good for society as a whole to kind of reconnect in that way and really explore things, which you don't. You once you're through a university, rarely do people uh, get the opportunity to do that. Really, you know, you just you just you run in and you live in, and that's it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to lift your head from the fire.
0: Um, Okay, so Alexis, let's uh, let's go back to the start. So if you can remember. Um, what was your very first experience of a video game?
1: Uh, my very first experience of a video game would have been um, probably Space Invaders, certainly the row of arcade cabinets along the wall of the gallery in the zoom pool in the village outside Oxford where I grew up. And um, my very first experience of a video game on a home computer um, would have been a uh, probably Colossal Cave. It wasn't really a home beauty, sorry, at all. Not remotely a home Um Slightly more like a, a, a small-screen video game, though. Would have been Colossal Cave played on the mainframe of the uh, Oxford University Atmospheric Physics Department, um, where my mother's boyfriend was getting computer time to work on his MA in Early Music
0: thesis. That is that is a, a very bold and unique first uh, first choice. I don't think I've ever had uh, anything quite so grand as that. Um, so what what was the, what would the game have been? Colossal Cave, uh,
1: the original adventure. I mean, it wasn't. I don't think it was called Colossal Cave then. But it was, as far as I knew, a uh, you know a green screen that you typed um, verb object into and then sent things back to you. And I was fascinated by it. Although because it was this this early mainframe that I had some sort of trivial time show on because they just sat me in a corner to keep me happy um there, there were sort of lags of, of between five seconds and 60 seconds every time you typed in a, um every time you typed in a command and so and that,
0: what, what were you doing though were you like was it like uh it wasn't interactive. it wouldn't have been as advanced as an interactive fiction thing but just like uh, what, navigating this something was, around
1: yeah sorry this, this, this was um we said original adventure this is the uh, i didn't know any of this stuff at the time but crowther and woods as original um, interactive fiction thing which was um, where you start uh, outside a red brick building on a road, uh, you enter a network of caverns and there's a brass lamp there's a pirate, there's a dwarf um, a a grumpy dwarf I think that that pops out of a a puff of greasy smoke Um, there's some very atmospheric descriptions based on um, the original writers, spelunking uh, expeditions Um, and there's amazing little twisty passages which I think is probably the most Persistent and resonant phrase of any any early game ever.
0: That that's that's proven to be uh, quite the moment in your life, considering how things have have gone later.
1: It, it has, uh, and I think um, uh, I, I, I would hesitate to say whether that imprinted me at an early age uh, or whether I was uh, more into that and less into the idea of space invaders. Although you know, I played a, a good game of space invaders because I was already a very bookish child.
0: But was it like, was it um, like a particularly profound experience or was it just like, oh, here's a cool thing, like, you know, like a new toy or something?
1: It was one of those things where you uh, dream about it in between opportunities uh, to return. Uh, So yes, it was a a pretty profound experience. And then I ended up um, playing... um, uh, games on our neighbour's um, Apple II uh, computer. Uh, true fact, I found out many years later that our neighbour was actually the sister of Richard Dawkins. Uh, no way. Which, yeah, way. Uh, and which, which, meant, uh, that which meant that she was the sister-in-law of Lalla Ward, who used to be uh, the uh, first, uh, or second, I forget, which—Ruanda and Doctor Who. Uh, that's, that's it for the kind of um, uh, exotic... Uh, stories and anecdotes. Everything from here on is pretty stuff.
0: So. <laughs> Those are like some of the the nerdiest name drops I think I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm so proud. No, I, I fully appreciate it. But, um, um, was it no, a big part of your early life though? Like games. Was that like part of your formative experiences? Like you know, first making friends and stuff.
1: Uh, was it part of my formative experiences? Yes. Did I make uh, uh, friends through it? Not especially because I was the, um, you know, I was the nerdy kid in the corner at school. Yeah. Um, we all, all were.
0: It's fine. Uh, sorry? We all were. It's fine.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think you know, it's particularly so because uh, this was, while, you know, people could still describe home computers and in inverted commas uh, as a hobby. Um, so uh, a, a lot of folk... Um, you know, completely buoyed by the idea. And um, I did make, you know, a few friends, uh, but because, again, multiplayer gaming at that point was completely unheard of. I remember when I was 12, 13, reading about the original MUD at Essex University uh, in a magazine, the idea that you could log onto something and move around in a virtual space containing other players. Uh, was just just uh, exotic beyond belief and, and very exciting. and of course when you do move around in virtual um, space with other players, uh, as often as not they're uh, you know shouting homophobic abuse, but it is extraordinary and wonderful that you've got to the point now where that's not a, a far off dream, but it's something you you assume as standard, uh, and that's that's you know straightforward to implement.
0: Yeah, I mean it's interesting because like as much as um like you, you were saying about, you know, playing this, this, this sort of proto-adventure game and, and whether or not that had a, a formative effect on you. I think, like, these sort of things definitely do because I, like, I've always played games, but I'd never heard of uh, a mud until I spoke to Meg uh, Janth on the show because she, she had clearly kind of brought herself up in, in those kind of communities and those sort of virtual worlds. And I just, they never occurred to me at all um and and so that and, but that's clearly led her down a certain path and you down a certain path um but like th- did you sort of seek those type of games out uh
1: yes uh so uh, my my name my initial um interactions with computer games were um so constrained that they were always exciting treats mm-hmm. so you know the space invaders um uh, arcade cabinets, I, I needed uh, some spare 10 ps Time toy uh the swimming pool, the Oxford University atmospheric physics lab. Uh, Obviously, I, I wasn't in a lot. And our neighbours, Apple II was just a jealous of the price when I was being babysat. So uh, a, a lot of the time I spent, um, uh, you know, playing something frenziedly for two hours and then not being able to play it again for another week. So it, it built up a head of enthusiasm, I guess.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: And then when I was, I don't know, uh, 11, 12, uh, I went up to scout camp and my mother um, bought a uh, BBC Model E microcomputer secretly while I was away and um, didn't tell me what I got back, quietly set it up in the next room. And then she and my brother ushered me through uh, to see this thing when I was still half asleep and I was convinced I was dreaming.
0: Oh man, that is that is some good mothering.
1: She's 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 a a quality woman, even if she did uh, land with a uh, a name that leads people to make uh, wrong assumptions. <laughs> uh, but um, so that um, uh, the, the kind of, of games uh, you got on the BBC, because of the primitive nature of the uh, graphics, limited memory, there were a lot of very tech centric stuff, and I played a uh, uh, plenty of. Um, uh, simple pixel arts uh, platformers, and things you know I spent a lot of time in Manic Minor but the things that I was always most enthused about were again uh, largely uh, text parser games uh, so uh, Level 9 um, which I think was run by, by Three Brothers uh, very prolific um, interactive fiction community uh, a company of the 80s um, uh, in, in Britain and um, that went a long way with uh, evocative, terse descriptions, um, and occasional dreadful puns, and of course the Infocom games. Though I think uh, Level Nine made more of a dent in my consciousness. Those are a big part of it. And then there were uh, there was a game called Yellow River uh, Kingdom, which is an extraordinarily primitive, uh, proto pre civilization like game. Oh, okay. To uh, assign. Um, a limited number of resources to things like keeping robbers away or or working the fields or building uh, dams. I just ran a uh, a turn every year. And then, of course, uh, when I was, I I guess, uh, 15, um, elite burst on uh, the stage and on the minds of um, every boy and a few girls in my generation has been, you know, obviously at that point still an overwhelmingly uh, male-dominated environment. Yeah. And that the, the thing that Elite uh, brought, I think, was a really good idea of a virtual world as anything other than science fiction. I mean, you look at it now, it's dreadfully primitive. Uh, a lot of what it does is with the promise that it implies rather than the experience it actually delivers. But there was an experience that, that there were actual 3D graphics and it did suggest a huge universe, or even the huge universe consists of tens of thousands of almost completely identical planets.
0: But, I mean, that must have been, you know, a fuel to like a, a young bookish kid's mind because you're given a world, then you kind of fill in the details yourself, essentially.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and um, one of the things, again, uh, this was pre-internet, this was... Um, uh, you know, print magazines out there, but the, um, uh, the there was a lot of rumor, hype, and innuendo. So, for example, the elite manual suggested that there were uh, space hermits on asteroids and talked about um, giant uh, factory ships living in the depths of space that swoop people up. And it was never clear whether these were just flavor. Or whether these were actually uh, in the game, implemented somewhere if you looked hard enough. Yeah. So there were, uh, you know, people claiming at school they, they'd come across these things. Uh, these days, if they existed, they'd be on YouTube in a day. If they didn't exist, then somebody would have uh, taken apart the game and found they didn't exist in, in there. Uh, and it is much harder to hide um, possibilities
0: uh, yeah. in games. I mean, Sorry. yeah, the, the, I do miss that a little bit, but I also do. Because, like, the older you get, the more kind of time pressure uh, things get. Like, if if I ever have to look something up, um, yeah. I'm I'm annoyed. Not annoyed. No, that's so, the wrong but, word. But yeah.
1: no, I, I agree completely. I think a couple of things. One, uh, although I get nostalgic about it, I would much rather have back the hours of my life that I spend trying to do an impossible jump in, in I don't know, Two radar or, or yeah, whatever yeah. That, that turned out uh, to be actually impossible. Um, and two, uh, th- that sense of the unknown meant that the Elite seemed like much more than it actually was because it seemed like an infinite universe. It was actually sort of a very um, simple uh, 3D client where you, you um, moved around at limited speed. Um, but that sense of the unknown keeps on moving out there
0: yeah. So now
1: you get people writing uh, very searching essays about, for example, the lore in Dark Souls, uh, or speculating about uh, like what Kojima's upcoming game is actually the hell about. And so that 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 same sense of the unknown still exists. It just moved further out from actually being on your monitor.
0: Yeah. I mean, the the lore like that that all kind of feeds back into the same thing because the like I love the the Dark Souls series of games, but the lore completely passed me by like i I had no context for it i didn't really understand any of the stories but then i started watching um epic name bro on youtube watching his playthroughs and he focuses really heavily on the law and like piecing together all these kind of um design aspects and things built into the levels and like pulling story from it and it was it was really exciting but it's really i mean that must be something that you're you're very interested in as like you know, narrative design and stuff. Yes, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 it was, it's, it's a. I think maybe if I was a kid, I would have gone crazy over all the Dark Souls stuff. But because I'm a grown up, I just, I like the, the mechanics of the game. I like playing through it. I don't really, I don't know, not don't care about the story. But I'm, I'm not willing to put in the effort to really explore yeah,
1: well, it. I, I get that, and I do hear reports that they effectively made it up. Oh, okay. But I, I've never I'm never clear how, how true that is. And I think the fact that's, that's kind
0: of fine. Like if people can still pull from it, then then cool. Uh
1: yes, it, it, it is. And I think even if they did make it up as they go along, it's a tribute to the everything from the overall creative direction of the game to uh some of the individual nuggets of, of stuff that you find, uh that people can construct. Coherent and exciting frameworks out of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a lot with the the early home computers, they they kind of, if not encouraged, you know, it was quite simple to sort of start making your own games as well because they were quite basic. So, was that something that you you started to explore?
1: Um, sorry, say so that last thing again.
0: Like on home computers and stuff um, in in the eighties, like the. The, the barrier to entry of making your own games was often a lot smaller and magazines would produce kind of guides on how to code basic games. So was that something you were interested in?
1: Yes, no, it, it was. So again, I'm, I'm of the generation that, um, spent time typing in, uh, code from magazines, which with, with hindsight, uh, it, it's, I don't know, like, like chiseling a TV show in the side of the cliff. <laughs> and, um, uh, again, uh, what I built was what I liked most. So it was um, uh, daft text parser, interactive fiction stuff because they were um, uh, th- th- there was a, a book I bought that had a straightforward framework for doing that, and the kind of tech involved at that point was was, was very primitive. And, and what were they made? Uh, do,
0: do you remember what, was, what were they were
1: was... made? It was. It was. Uh, I was. I was ten. I was. I was eleven. So it was um, about the kind of things that I'd been playing. It was a, um, a disconnected jumble of different mythologies, um, set in some largely underground environment, uh, with some um, uh, striking uh, uh, landscapes and and scenes um, where you had to collect a bunch of stuff for some arbitrarily defined plot reason. <laughs> You know, as I get to the end of that sentence, I suddenly realised that Full London, which I spent many of the last seven years on, was a uh, jumble of different mythologies in a largely underground environment, full of striking scenery and landscapes. We had to collect a whole bunch of stuff.
0: I so, was going to say, you seem to nail it pretty young there. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I guess you, um, I suspect something that, that for what you've said as well, comes up in these interviews, uh, more often the not, is, is the degree to which people's courses set. Early. Yeah, yeah,
0: Absolutely but, but so was that something that you um beyond it just being fun because you can make your own game was that something you thought I could do this or did it kind of make you because a lot of, especially like younger i feel like you don't you have no conception of who makes games and you know how they're built really no i mean
1: i, I didn't um actually and for, for two reasons um uh one uh, at that age i still really wanted to be a writer um and uh two uh, a good friend of mine, uh, one of the, the uh, few friends I met through playing games, was an extremely talented uh, software developer, uh, I mean, software developing, he was an extremely talented coder, like for a nine-year-old, uh, and there were a couple of other much more talented uh, techies at school. Uh, the guy in question, Tom Williamson, has gone on, um, I know he was working for Criterion uh, a while ago, uh, and I just sort of was immediately aware of how limited my own skills where were, uh, so I just, I, I, I never studied um, any kind of computer science or software engineering all the way through education, higher education. Uh, I always went for uh, art stuff, cultural stuff, um, English, and then after a uh, soul-destroying stint as a, an English teacher um, when I left university, I ended up teaching myself coding and started a a 10-year career uh, as a software developer. Uh, And uh, on the back of that, uh, when I decided to do a startup, I decided to make it something that sat halfway between games and writing, uh, which is why I felt better in the shape it it was. But no, I've, I've never been... Uh, particularly technically good even when I was a software developer I was perfectly competent uh, but where I, I did well um, was on uh, finding solutions to build business problems and, and talking to people uh, because not all software developers have good communication skills Yeah. and uh, although I built uh, all the original um, uh, code for Fortnite myself and although I'm now um, coding uh, games um in my off hours uh, for fun uh it's, it's not my core skill but it, wasn't my that, but it
0: certainly was my core skill but despite the fact that you know you perhaps at a young age you weren't getting you weren't going to become a coder did, did your uh, love of games kind of continue through your your adolescence and stuff or was there a time when you were like oh actually i'm a bit too cool for this now no I, I,
1: uh not really Is the answer to am i too cool for this now um you know, I, was, I embraced the geek identity very early on. Uh, and I discovered, in fact, so one of the other big influences on my uh, childhood that we've been, um, that we've been talking exclusively about digital games. But when I was eight years old, again, it's something about swimming pools. So I was sitting behind uh, two other kids in the gallery in swimming pool, and they had this book with a blue dragon on the cover. And they were talking about hit points and I became aware that, you know, one of them was like narrating and eventually the other and they were taking turns. It was sort of like a live version of the text of games I'd seen. And and I was hooked. I I took it home. Uh, I I took the the memory home that evening and tried to get my brother to play a similar game. And the history of the next um, uh, 10 years of my life was me trying to get my brother to play uh, Dungeons & Dragons um, and him doing so only under Sufferance and Duress. (laughs) Uh, And then I I went up to university and suddenly found uh, a cluster of enthusiastic gamers uh, playing both tabletop and digital games. And and yes, the tabletop games, um, uh, pen and paper role-playing formed part of my expectations about gaming uh, from very early on. And I I stopped tabletop gaming uh, for two reasons. Um, One, uh, I ended up with uh, a girlfriend who didn't terribly approve. uh, (laughs) um, Which I think, you know, the closest I got to uh, um, giving it up because I decided I was cooler. But even by then, I more or less decided that I wasn't going to keep on running tabletop campaigns because I wanted to do something creative professionally and i knew that if i spent hours every week prepping for this stuff uh i would um satisfy that need um that way in a a more
0: productive way essentially exactly and sure enough you
1: know when i stopped i i I ended up um founding a company it's now what what would i do for a living
0: you are the the ultimate dungeon master essentially uh yeah don't say that okay sorry (laughs) um i want to go back i want to go back to the the university thing because that like i i love hearing stories about like games and you know finding your 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 friends and forming relationships around games so that must have been super exciting to meet like this group of people in university and also how how did you discover them like because the classic thing you go into university you want to present a certain image so you'll I don't know, you'll play certain records and stuff. You know, how would you have found uh, your gaming friends?
1: Uh, I'm thinking back now. I I missed them at Freshers' Fair. Uh, I completely failed to uh, to come across this stuff. So I I fiddled around with the usual set of um, uh, odd uh, uh, societies. And I think I ran into... uh, Another game, I a party and, you know, the, the, these are the days in which um, uh, you were cautious about explaining um, gaming because somebody, you know, uh, looked at you uh, with fear. And this is, in fact, not long past the great D&D Satanism scares. Right, OK. That era. And we got talking and and he said, oh, you missed this thing at Freshers' Fair. Uh, there's a big uh uh session every Saturday at students union and I went along and, and you know i'd never seen twenty thirty people in a room all interested in tabletop gaming role playing war gaming uh all, all those things uh before and um uh, I ended up living in a, a, a nerd household uh for uh for, for most of my my university time um which uh no so what what it was like it was uh, it was like coming home and uh, there's this real sense of, of, of these are my people
0: yeah and like i'm assuming that with your your sort of your, your nature and you wanted to be a writer you would have gravitated and because you'd run the games for your brother so i don't know like i mean I, I've, I've never played dungeons and dragons uh, we we all tried it when we were kids and yeah, and I think we were too young to really comprehend it and then it was kind of gone by the time we were old enough to but I imagine there must be a certain hierarchy to it essentially like you can't just rock up and say like right I'm running the game now like you just gradually build up to that I mean
1: well uh, not really actually uh, so, so I mean first of all it was for what it's worth uh, most of it wasn't D&D uh, a lot of it was other systems or homebrew stuff but I think it's um, people do rock up and say Yes, i'd 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 like to uh, i'd like to run a game. Is anybody interested? And if there's enough interest, it'll happen. Uh, a, a, again, you know, the, the, the scene's changed so much since I was involved in it. Uh, it's hard me to generalise about the way things are now. But I think there are a bunch of people who are natural players and a bunch of people who are natural game masters. Uh, so they tend to uh, to gravitate to each other. Uh, and yeah, I, I always wanted to run my own games um, more than I wanted to be in you know, the people's, uh, although I I, uh, I did both, uh, as, as most people did. Uh, and, and that was always the, uh, the fun part. Um, one of the things that games give that writing doesn't is the immediate feedback, whether you're a player or whether you're a GM. Uh, if you're a player, you know, you, you try to do something, you immediately get some response that is in some way tuned to your Environment, even if it's only due to your particular circumstances, even if it's only the computer saying, "I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that," and calling you something other than Dave. And as a GM, uh, you get to to put something out and immediately uh, get a, a response of enthusiasm or, or interest from your players. And in fact, um, what I found when I tried to write long form fiction is that having uh, done game mastering is a very poor uh introduction to that it seems like it should be a natural one yeah Obviously, see there are some common skills but every time you you do something when you're running a game people immediately give you something back if you're writing something no, you need to get all the way through a chapter on your own yeah you can't stop and say to to, to your characters what would you like to do now and, and they do something unexpected you can't write a session plan that says uh he, he, he's a mile-high wall uh, of glass. The players will think of something clever to get through it. You've got to come up with both sides. So it, it does encourage uh, a certain flexibility, which is useless when you're writing non-form fiction, and a certain laziness, which is also useless when you're writing non-form fiction.
0: I, I often wonder about that, though, because um, like I do a lot of writing mainly for like theatre and, and film and stuff, but the the kind yeah. of... It does seem like a, a natural training if, if you're, you know, running a game to, to tell a story. But I, I wonder if there are any. You might know this better than me. Examples of people actually, like literally, writing a story like that, like playing a game with the intention of kind of turning it into a novel at the end.
1: I think that yeah, there have been uh, that there are, um, but it generally doesn't go. Uh, it generally doesn't go well. There are, uh, I know fantasy novels, which are are essentially based on people's role-playing campaigns. I think it's quite rare for them to be um, very good because a lot of them uh, have have the ghost of you really should have been there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. On every
1: page. And the pacing's wrong. Um, The the kind of situations that occur in tabletop games, the kind of situations that allow uh, a half dozen people to uh get equal time uh which isn't necessarily something you want to do with um characters conversely you know if you had um uh one protagonist soak you up all the gm's attention in a tabletop game yeah uh that would be uh dreadful and again things have, have moved on a lot um tabletop gaming has moved in a lot of different directions uh, from the days I, I spent, and I know there's lots of experimental forms that, that, that are different, but it is fundamentally a call and response mode that involves a, a bunch of people working together. Uh, yeah, I think I think yeah. that
0: sort of the, the the community aspect is is key to it. I don't know if you you know um, the reason that that comes to head comes to mind is because of Harmon Quest, which is like Dan Harmon's new comedy show, and it is essentially a live. Um, I think they use Pathfinder, but it's, you know, a role-playing game. Um, and it's really good. And, I, th- like, they are not just it's quite entertaining, but the stories themselves are relatively engaging, like the fictional story of the the game. But then mm-hmm. you also have the interactions of the people playing it, which is where a lot of the kind of entertainment comes from. That
1: sounds interesting, and I'll, and, and I'll take a look. But, um, you know, but even then, I will submit that if Dan Harmon does something, it's probably going to be pretty good. It's probably
0: going to be pretty good. Yeah.
1: yeah it, it, fair. he did, in fact, chisel his TV show into a clear frame by frame, it would still be probably be, be rather better than what we had achieved by doing something of similar. <laughs>
0: um, but speaking of the communal things, like, I, like do, you, do you have memories of like you know, spectacular campaigns that you would, like? If, you, if you're still in contact with any of these people, you'd sort of oh, remember that time we, I don't know, killed the giant lava monster? And I don't mean that in like, a trite way. I mean that in a quite sincere, like, oh, that was a great time.
1: Uh, I, y- yes and no. Um, I don't like to dwell once I've, i finished something. Um, so I, I, I get a bit terse, um, sometimes at people who engage me in conversation about fall in London since I left fail better, uh, because I don't want to, to dwell on, on what I did, um, uh, when I could, um, be thinking about what, what I want to do next. Uh, I think that way you always get encouraged to rest in your roles. Um, but I, I did actually hire uh, early on uh, a couple of the people um, who I role played with uh, back at university. Oh, cool. One of them is, is still with the company um, and uh, is now narrative director. Uh, he, he stepped up when I, when I left. Uh, and um, I know he's still uh, slightly embarrassingly talks about uh, one of the campaigns um, I used to run uh, fondly. And I guess it's one of the things that convinced him that he. Wanted to be with Fair Better in the first place, uh,
0: but you don't sound thrilled about that. I think that's lovely. I know.
1: I, 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 I'm basically secretly thrilled. Of course, I'm thrilled, but (laughs) I've got to sound dismissive about it because otherwise, uh, I mean, you know, Yeah, yeah,
0: no, I do. I do, uh,
1: but the, I think, yeah, I said a moment ago that, um, the, uh, um, I tend not to dwell on, on, uh, work I've done in the past I think that's true I think it's also true even beyond that that uh, tabletop stuff is best in the moment yeah. um, again even when people don't try to turn into a novel there are lots and lots of attempts to uh, preserve some sort of archive um, and that gets less and less interesting the further you get away from the actual session and it's like uh, it, it is to a degree like theatre uh, and I'm sure uh, theater folk um, will uh, clean classes and remember particularly successful occasions. But once it's done, it's done.
0: Yeah. That's the moment is past kind of thing. So what about uh, video games? Did you still sort of love those through university? Was that something that you continued with after university?
1: Uh, I did. Um, I, I didn't have a PC uh, for uh, much of my time at university. Um, because uh, they were a relative luxury purchases. Again, you know, this was, was the days before it was pretty much standard uh, to have a laptop, um, and I was, was turning in handwritten essays. Jesus, uh, terrible handwriting as well. Uh, but like, yes. weirdly,
0: I just this morning I, I, I was I did an interview with um, uh, Joe Twist from Yuki, and oh, that, yeah. uh, she she was saying that her first year in university was the first year where. Word processing was was mandatory, which is just an interesting sort of uh, historical connection. It
1: it is, and it's it's uh, it it seems bizarre looking back that I could hand in this this coffee stains (laughs) artifacts rather than than something that could actually be emailed about the place. But uh, yeah, so I, I got a PC. I fell straight into civilization, kind of face first. Civilization uh, was the first game I ever played for 16 hours uh, straight, uh, and I remember I stopped playing uh, because the, the you know the design of it is just so tight. You've got these these constant overlapping, interlocking loops where there's always three other things that are really interested in the outcome of. Once you've got the outcome of one thing, I've never played anything like it before.
0: We, we so, we've all been there, Alexis. It's fine.
1: So, 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 so you know, right? But they, I remember I, I actually, um, I was by the time I finished that mammoth session, I was sufficiently sleep deprived, uh, hallucinating music in the house. Uh, and I, I literally would leave the computer and go downstairs to make sure nobody left the CD player on because I was so convinced I could hear it. And then I heard somebody say my name right next to my ear quite softly. And I thought, okay, it's, it's, it's time to go to
0: bed now. <laughs> But what about um, what about consoles, right? You don't you you don't tend to have these kind of mammoth sessions. Was there like a, a fun fun? That's the wrong word. But like you know, was there like a, did you have consoles? You have not mentioned any kind of uh, no, I mean classic uh, Mario's or anything like that.
1: No, no. It, it, oddly enough, that that whole chunk of gaming culture mostly passed me by. I mean, I have a PlayStation Four sitting behind me. I've, I've had a. Uh, both PlayStations and Xboxes in the past, but largely, you know, because I really wanted to play Shadow of the Colossus and, um, uh, and, and it never got a, a PC port. I think it has got a PC port now, doesn't it? Been, you know, years on. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was somehow passing by. Uh, I think partly this was because uh, my mother um, bought a computer, capital F, for capital E education, uh, and wouldn't particularly have a countenance the games console. Uh, I think we did have like a something that play Pong very briefly, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so so not only those games but a whole chunk of gaming culture, uh, I'm slightly blind to, and i've I've always been uh, a PC gamer. And I guess you know um, if you go to look for text centric games, that tends to be more a PC thing than a console thing for yeah, right absolutely. not least that you know simply text is not what that good on. There.
0: On a TV screen, but have you ever been kind of um, like entranced by something that is much more kind of Twitch? Like I mean, because a lot, of, like a lot of the stuff you you've mentioned has been very like very story driven or or very collaborative. You know, so is there? Are you competitive? You know, are there games that that you sort of would would compete over, or games you consider yourself good at? If you know what I mean.
1: I to to the most trivial fucking degree uh i mean i was uh pretty good at office quake back in the day but um you know obviously once you're out of your 20s you're not good at an fbs compared oh, to, no, no, no. to anybody um I uh, I uh i used to like starcraft um, when starcraft 2 came out um i remember i uh I played a lot of it in the evenings. I clawed my way up to sort of the half through the Silver League. I stopped playing it for, for like six weeks. When I came back, um, everyone else had moved on to the extent that I just got my ass politely handed to me uh, <laughs> every time. You know, very polite. You know, you get, go, go home, dear. Uh, every time. So sort of ne- never made it uh, back into, into silver even. And then when I went back, the next time after that, uh, they'd gone from having bronze, silver, gold to having bronze, silver, gold a platinum Diamond Master or something like that. What the hell? You know, why am I even bothering here?
0: Do you uh, get competitive with games here? Have you ever got competitive?
1: No. I mean, it's. I, I like having a goal in a game. Um, obviously, I have a functioning set of monkey glands. So if you put me in a room full of other monkeys um, or trying to compete, then I'll, I'll feel some sort of urge to compete. But um I basically can't play games unless there's a story it doesn't have to be a good story obviously i care if it's a good story or not but you know tetris I, I, I just couldn't because what's what's where's the law man? what's 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 going to happen at the end <laughs> uh where, where's my decisions even tower defense games i've literally finished tower defense games because there's um uh a story in it and I want to see what happens at the end of the story. And I, you know, I, I, I finished, have I ever finished a GTA game? I can't remember, but i put dozens of hours into, into chunks of GTA. I, I finished, um, uh, what was the, um, open world console game, um, that Volition did.
0: Sixth uh,
1: No, uh, but, but similar, you know, you, you jump Oh, crackdown. So it cracked down, of course. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, I, I Crackdown has a story, uh, you know, in as much as it's important. Uh, it also has a lot of of, of jumping and finding orbs. Um, it's got a big twist like ending, it.
0: if I remember rightly. Actually, it was quite surprising. Uh, crackdown. It does,
1: yeah. But um, but when there's a story, I guess there's 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 sort of act um, uh, boundaries because you, you you take over city district by district. You have these individual bosses take down. Yeah. There's a variety of experience. It's the variety of experience, the implied story that that, that works for me
0: that is so, genuinely amazing to me because i don't think i've ever played a game for the story um possibly the bioshock games but i would have played them anyway not to say that i'm I, i'm dismissive of the story but that's almost never been like something that i that drives me through it if you know what i
1: mean i think sometimes it's, it's an excuse as much yeah, as the yeah, i think yeah. you know if, if the core cool game link is really good uh, that I like to feel that something different is going to happen at the end of the evening and that I can turn the machine off with a sense of, of satisfaction or progress. Uh, whereas if it were a matter of finding up kind of blocks and the fundamentally compulsive nature of what I'm doing is, is laid a little too bare to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes it is like some of my, my strongest sort of gaming memories have been when the story and the game kind of converge in a way that I wasn't expecting and the one that always sticks in my head, and it's such a weird one, but it's the uh, Prince of Persia, like the original one on the PlayStation 4, the Sands of Time one, um, where you can rewind yes. time and yeah. stuff, and it was great. And there's a, a very, it's just a tiny little bit at the end, or like one of the last two levels, and something happens to you, you get captured or something, and for the last uh, chunk of the game, you, you haven't got a top on, right? He's lost the top off his body, and he's just like bare-chested, barreling into these guys, and just that, for, like, the final run of the game, just as a, a neat little thing they changed about the avatar. It suddenly changed my whole opinion of the game. Like, it changed the way I played it as well. It was, it was just amazing.
1: Yeah, there's something about seeing uh, state reflected in the game. Yeah, totally. The game that really makes a difference. People talk a lot about meaningful decisions and consequences in games. And if you dig below the surface of that, and this is obviously a lot of, of, of what we did at Felt Better than what I do now, um, what meaningful decisions and consequences means um, it varies enormously from person to person. It really begs the question to talk about things in those terms. But I think um, uh, one of the ways in which it, one of the things that really gets people excited is you see um, Uh, the world change um, in a way you didn't necessarily expect it to it doesn't have to be a big way it just isn't necessarily the kind of thing you would normally expect to have changed
0: yeah absolutely so like what um when did you kind of make the decision that you know this is something that you could do like was there a specific game or a specific story in a game that that made you think oh my god this is amazing that kind of gave you this idea of the of the potential of them or was i mean i'm assuming it was always there to an extent but
1: so there are a couple of, of, of really formative experiences. Um, the, um, I remember playing um, the first Baldur's Gate game uh, and um, the sudden transition from. Uh, no, not the transition. So, okay, the first Baldur's Gate game uh, at the very beginning in, in classic fantasy uh, novel. Um, fashion. Uh, you are uh, an orphan who's been brought up in a remote monastery yeah, yeah. by a, a, a mentor for mysterious reasons, and then the bad guy turns up and murders you, your mentor. Uh, and I'd never been inside something that felt that much like a novel uh, in a good way. Uh, you know, there was actually some plot happening, and I was doing things that weren't standard game verbs. Yeah, and um, and then most of elder's gate is uh back to uh dungeoning and the the way it would work is you get the dungeoning as a, a pace uh mechanism and then you get a chunk of story that you're we awarded for and in the meantime there's a lot of, of of um a very open wilderness to wander so it's back to the sense of there being a a really uh a, a real virtual world, yeah. a, real virtual world a, a virtual world even though again a lot of this is implied and a lot of what's actually around the map is is just hobgoblins uh, it's, it's a very effective um, uh, treatment that really makes it feel like you're exploring a, a, a virtual space, and um, and some of the writing was great, and um, uh, I shouldn't say some of the writing was great. The writing was was excellent, especially for a game in the in the '90s, and some of the writing was outstanding. But what really stood out for me was this sense of doing things you wouldn't normally get to do in games. Yeah. There's another game, uh, King of Dragon Pass, where again you're getting to do things that you wouldn't normally get to do in games.
0: I've never even heard uh, of that, King of Dragon Forest. King of Dragon Pass. It's it's uh, there are people listening to this podcast right now
1: um, uh, shaking the the, uh, the their device and going, "How has have heard of King of Dragon Pass?" I'm, I know, I know. That's very, it's a very, but it's not surprising. It's very much a cult game, and people who people either generally adore it or have never heard of it. Um, it is a um, pseudo-Celtic village simulator um, it, it, it's where you are making strategic decisions about how your clan uh, thrives or not and being in front of the little chunks of story uh, where you get to make a choice that have a sort of procedural element to them but are, are largely scripted and that was was one of the biggest influences on for London but again it showed me that you could have um, a backbone of system mechanic um, and then put a story on top of that and use the system mechanic to make the story feel like it meant something. And then you could use the, the story could say whatever it wants. The story could say um, uh, there is a dryad off in the woods that is implanting seeds in people and causing to explode them out of their chests. Uh, or you are getting a delegation um, from the Confederation of Clans to uh, ask you if you want to be king and you don't need to provide like 3d art assets for that you can just say this thing happens yeah you spend seven years buried in the hole in the ground breathing through a straw being played elixir immortality um, and dreaming about flint eagles or something you, you can just say this <laughs> if you provide a, a a mechanic that backs this up it feels like more than just a, a branching narrative so that was one of the the influences And, of course, I played um, Torment, um, I played Torment, which was, um, uh, again, full of things that you don't normally get to do in games in a really outrageous way. So there are not many games where you get to um, uh, pull your own intestines out and turn them into a magic item (laughs) because... They've messed with the fundamental assumptions about RPGs to the point where um, they've assumed at the beginning that you're an immortal and you can't permanently die and subvert the whole save reload loop. There are not many where you turn out to have a whole set of of, uh, fascinating backstory elements that are told in, in flashback. Um, the, you, you visit uh, an extraordinary variety of places. Um, they just threw content at you. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of words there were in, in, in the comments. So, again, it did an awful lot with um, story and with, with text. The, the art design in Planescape Torment is great. Uh, the gameplay is basically completely ordinary, can, like only the CRPG on the planet. But they did. Um, uh, wonderful things with um with text story with dialogue with with doing things that you don't normally get to do in games so uh those all inspired and enthused me i was interested in doing stuff with text i was interested in doing things you didn't normally get to do in games yeah uh, and i was interested in having a game mechanical underpinning to this stuff so that it didn't just feel like you're being told an arbitrary story so that we could reflect the effects of the story back in the game system. And I I felt for the longest time, and I've kind of repented of this, I've not kind of repented, I've repented of this now. For the longest time I remember how frustrated I was um making a game, playing a game like Baldur's Gate 2 that had chunks of story interspersed with um, you know, moderately grindy dungeon bits. Yeah. I thought, well, what if you could make a game that was all-story? And I found out almost immediately why you don't do that. Because if you make a game all-story, uh, either you have a, a, an enormous team uh, or you make it two and a half hours long. Uh, because story is, by definition, um, in the traditional sense and scripted sense, non-repeatable mechanics. Yes, yeah. so It's very, very, very expensive to build. So obviously you have to have pacing mechanisms, or you have to have some sort of blend of narrative and, and uh, gameplay, uh, or you have some, some sort of procedural element or, or something. So th- those are the things that, that pointed me in that initial direction. And Then, then I was, uh, back 2009, I was a software consultant at a company that mostly did fintech, and uh, bad things happened to the fintech industry in 2009. I don't know what
0: that is. What's fintech? Oh, sorry, financial technology. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, and um,
1: so all, all, all the banks were running out of money, uh, right, okay. and they were going through their second round of layoffs. Uh, at the software consultancy I worked to, and when I said, um, "Listen, I'd really like to go off and try this daft idea I've got for a story games startup," um, can I take a six month unpaid sabbatical? They were much ready to say yes um, than I normally would.
0: Right, that is that is a, a bold move because I'm assuming working in financial technology that would have been a very good well-paid stable job
1: it, it, it was well
0: i mean except that i mean obviously yeah, there was a huge financial crisis around I have the world no idea
1: how, how bad it was at the time honestly um but i'd, I'd inherited a little bit of money uh, enough to live for a few months and i'd um it, uh my first child was due uh in about at that point uh three months uh, and I was going to take a bit of paternity leave anyway. But I thought, you know, if I'm working full time and I've got a kid, this isn't going to happen anytime soon. So it's now or never. So uh, I, I worked my ass off for three months, um, unpaid, and then unpaid for another nine months after that. <laughs> uh, happened. But. Um, uh to try to get something out uh before sonny was born um and then it's you know being a a, a dad and a software dad is, is is challenging but lots of people do it um
0: and did you, did uh, you have like did, an idea did, though so, like in sorry? your head did you have like an idea in your head something that you were itching to do that you were like yes, okay?
1: I, did, and it, I went a pretty different direction but what i was going to say is, is it did at the time seem like a, giving up something very stable for something uh absolutely nuts um yeah. And as it happens, um, that company then went through five rounds of redundancy um is now a shadow of its former self. And I probably would have lost my job along with, with the rest. And as it was, I was in you know full-time employment at Better once I finally started getting paid for about six years. So it turned out to be the right decision, but it's the, the last thing I expect at the time. Did I have an idea in my head? Um, uh, I originally uh, wanted to build... Uh, something that relied much more heavily on, on user, user generated content and the reasons this is a bad idea are i think a whole separate interview uh i made a lot of mistakes around that and i learned it and fall in london emerged largely accidentally while i was attempting to build the framework to make that that thing happen and it's just um it was a natural accumulation of all my enthusiasms um for uh, uh gothic literature uh for um uh evocative scenes for things that you don't normally get to do in games this has been a persistent thing you know yeah uh, so for london you, you do hunt monsters but you also write poetry seduce bishops go to the zoo um go on um uh, expeditions to the client states of, of hell um, and make your way through an entirely uh, surreal um, uh, set of choices, um, uh, die and return, um, uh, go <laughs> mad and... and oh, we go die and return, go mad and return, actually it's a fairly cliche, I guess, now for, for games. But I think, you know, writing poetry, the whole... Yeah, absolutely, to, yeah. Although game,
0: they, are, they are branching in Call of Duty, you know, that might be in the, the next game. Press X to write poetry. That's true.
1: We'll press X to write sonnets, press Y to write O's.
0: <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, but did, did did your um, relationship with games change when you started making them? I mean, I'm, I'm sure they will, but just did you notice anything specific?
1: Well, I started making them not so much. Um, but after um, a, a year in, uh, it becomes very difficult to to play a game without seeing under the skin of it. And um, uh, yeah, that, that that is mostly, that mostly means that um, uh, you enjoy things um, in a different way rather than less. But it does mean that just firing up another disposable CRPG and playing through it, uh, it becomes much harder to, uh, uh, to do. And, um, Yeah, so what what I suspect a lot of people have said is that that you see um, beneath the skin. It also gives you a lot more sympathy for developers because every time you think, why couldn't they have just put in that extra um, uh, story points, hour of gameplay, variant on that corridor, um, uh, specialized answers for that companion, uh, whatever you think. Well, because there's finite hours in your life in the world, in a budget, and, uh, and and you have to choose where you spend those resources. Uh, I'm sure there are lazy devs in the world, but I've never met one. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be working game development mostly. Yes,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think we've covered all sorts of good stuff, uh, Alexis. I've got a couple of like quick questions, sure. and they usually—I mean, I say quick, but you know, we'll we'll see how we get on. Um, okay. What is your worst ever rage quit?
1: Uh, um, give me a moment. I'm teasing the tail of something. <laughs> um, I can't remember Oh, yes. Spelunky. Yeah. So uh, I, I, uh, I made it most of the way to the ice caves level on uh, Spelunky, Mm -hmm. Um, and something with the key, that was the thing I was trying to get to the final level with the key, which you have to to pick up and carry through uh, each level. And um, I I got very near, I mean, Spelunky is is a notoriously uh, brutal game anyway, Uh, and I made all the way through to the very end. Um, and, you know, I had a half a heart left or one heart left, I can't go to a half a heart uh, and, um, and I dropped the key into onto the platform with the door at the next level and it
0: bounced
1: and it fell off into the abyss <laughs> it started about roaring and I uninstalled um, uh, I, I Spellonky as an afterthought, I uninstalled Steam as well Installed windows if I, if I could it's, <laughs> the first runner up is, is, is Darkest Dungeon which is a, a wonderful game and it's some of the tightest design I've ever seen and has they claimed a GDC talk it doesn't have any law it does it just has it told very economically and very uh, effectively and I love Darkest Dungeon but uh, I'll probably never play it again uh, because it is so uh, savage and so knowingly um, brutal but I've said I've never played it before. Never played a game before, so I'll
0: probably get back to it. <laughs> um, that is that's good. That's good stories. Um, so one of the things we've talked about is, is stories and games, and you know, a, a lot of people, uh, especially for the last ten years, games have been able to reflect much more, a much more broad array of, of emotions. So mm. I think, but I do still think that the, the one most difficult thing and the rarest thing is is comedy. So Alexis, what games have really made you laugh? And like properly laugh, not just like, oh, that's a clever line, just like really
1: laugh. Um, oh God, I can't think of zero examples. Um, and I'll think of five as soon as um, <laughs> give me a few seconds. Um, no, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm convinced that there's another example I'm missing, but I'm, I'm gonna go with Psychonauts because it's always a, a, a safe option. Um, And just in terms of of, um, uh, consistent, uh, um, focused, absurd uh, humor, I think it's it's, obviously up there. I'm going to go to something else, actually. It's barely a game. Um, It was the Malcolm Tucker app for iPhone. Okay. The conceit of the Malcolm Tucker app um, was that you found Malcolm Tucker's iPhone. Um, And the really clever thing about it is that once you start playing it, because you've supposedly got access to his email and his um, voicemail, you start getting more messages coming in. And you start getting messages coming in saying, oh my God, Tucker's iPhone has gone missing. This could bring the government down. And then you get Peter Capaldi um, bringing up your fake voicemail and asking you initially politely uh, to bring the the phone back Rather than using it to, to cause harm, and his calls get persistently more abusive and uh, scatological until I think the point where he rang me up and threatened to waterboard me in my own piss. That's the point <laughs> which I completely lost the plot. And that, that's that's a, a game thing that that you know you are the butt of the joke, but you're the willing butt of the joke.
0: That sounds amazing. I, I've never even heard of that. That sounds incredibly um, imaginative and elaborate for for a show like the Thick of It. You wouldn't necessarily you know what I mean it's just, it's an odd sort of uh, it just seems bizarrely elaborate yeah
1: yeah no they the hit on some really clever look at Nick W can it's, it's, it'd be super cheap or free and they, they did some very interesting things with it oh, I
0: definitely will go look that up um, Alexis I feel like we've covered all sorts of good and interesting stuff so um, I think that's a nice ending with uh, Malcolm Tucker to right into Waterborger unless there's anything that hasn't come up or anything you'd like to mention please go ahead
1: Uh. I think it's worth saying that in terms of, of, of um, what interests me now, as I said, is a skeleton of, of design very often. And I'm finding, as I think a lot of other game designers are on the board games are the place to go to look for that, because all the mechanics in the board game are on the surface. Yes, you know, it's a merit trash game. You can have uh, fancy uh, clicky plastic things yeah. and whatnot in there, but you can see everything that's going on and the kind of uh, level of design uh, that, that's going on there is wonderful and it's really exciting seeing some of the narrative gameplay of overlap uh, that's coming out now So, is, so
0: Are you uh, excited about the future of video games?
1: Yes, yes I mean I'm, I'm excited about the future generally I'm a nerd, I think, don't think you'd be a nerd and not be excited about the future but every decade I've been uh, a gamer uh, has been better than the last, and the last decade, I think every year has been better than the last. So yes,
0: yeah, it has been it has been a pretty good run. So uh, where can people uh, find you on the internet if they would like to? And is it, you don't have anything sort of coming out? now you are still I, in the gestation correct.
1: phase. Uh, I, I've got so I, I'm I'm at weatherfactory.biz um, or Alexis Kennedy on Twitter. Um, I am uh, there's some. Uh, writing work I'm doing with a dev I really like next month that I'm gagging to announce but can't quite yet. And I've got a thing called Cultist Simulator that I've just been fiddling with a prototype for that i will probably put up on my site in the next couple of weeks just as a simple JavaScript prototype to get feedback on. 100% free to
0: play. Cool. Uh, I think. Why the Weather Factory? What does that mean? Uh,
1: because it is a consistent way of producing unpredictable things.
0: That's good. That's that's a, that's a good clever answer. Um Thank you. I'm I'm quite pleased with that. Okay. I I think that, I think that we've covered everything. Thanks uh, so much again for your time, Alexis. Thanks a lot. I will uh, I'll drop you a mail or something once uh once the show goes live and it's all edited and stuff. Wonderful. But wait, there's more. Um as I mentioned at the start of the show, last week Alexis made an announcement that he's the very first guest writer to work at BioWare. So we got in touch and we recorded uh, an extra bonus part of the show um all about that and how that came about and how very excited he is to be uh working on whatever that game may be okay here's the here's the bonus chat um okay so alexis thanks so much for for taking the time to have an extra appendix chat with me um for this episode because you you had some very exciting news yesterday
1: uh i did i've been sitting on it for um a while because big companies move slowly when it yeah. comes to contracts, but but yes, uh, yesterday I was finally able to announce that I'm Bioware's first ever guest writer.
0: That is that is you must have been thrilled, like because I've been as, as I mentioned to you, when I emailed yesterday. You, your episode is out next week, and I've been just listening back on the edit and the, the kind of the the love that you have for for stories in in games, and and to be now working for Bioware, who are um, probably one of the the best in terms of the. The, the, the story and the writing in games that must be such a thrill
1: that's exactly so i think you know if i were going to pick four triple a studios who really are the best uh, it would be bioware bethesda cd project red and obsidian and i would um uh hesitate to put them in any kind of order especially <laughs> if each have their strengths but it's 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 one of the big uh the big ones obviously and they've been an influence on my work for years uh, i literally don't know if i'd be in the business that i'd not been playing um Elder's gate and neverwinter nights back in the day absolutely uh, um the i i never thought i'd actually get to work inside the machine as it were because we did do fail better some contract work we we were commissioned to do a spin-off project for dragon age dragon age the last court which i think is still online now uh, okay uh it's a, um, explicitly uh it, it was a it was meant to provide um something for the players who remember the days of Baldur's gate fondly so it's very text heavy it's very fell better in that sense yeah um it, it's it, it's not that mainstream uh so that was great i really liked working with
0: with the bioware guys and was that where the kind of relationship started Exactly so. Well,
1: in fact, the the very beginning of the relationship, it's a a nice story.
0: Uh,
1: Back when uh, Felbeta was really, uh, really early days, early 2010. Uh, Out of the blue, I got an email from Mike Laidlaw, uh, creative director of Dragon Age, saying, hey, guys, we love your work. Uh, Would you like to come out to... Edmonton and do a day's uh, workshop on narrative design, and so obviously I went. Ah! <laughs> and it's going ah! Uh, obviously I went, and it was a, a very humbling and interesting experience. And um, uh, it was also the point at which they first revealed uh, a desire to work together on Dragon Age: uh, Last Court, and we 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 you know, we've maintained a. A friendly relationship.
0: Since then, that's so exciting that they would just out of the blue be like, "Oh, you know, we really like your stuff. Do you want to come and have a chat to us about it?" Like, what? So a, think, like, what a thrill!
1: Yeah, it, it is, and I think I think it actually uh, shows um, an an important truth about AAA companies and indie companies and the way that uh, game design and production has improved. Now, it is not that. Indie companies are better than AAA companies. Although I'm, I'm an indie to the bone, and I'm unlikely to go into AAA land for anything other than a, a, a contract. Yeah. It is that you get a different kind of innovation in uh, in the indie world. People can take risks more readily. It's very difficult for even a really visionary uh, team in AAA world to, to take bigger risks. So indies can, can take things from, can, can um, produce things that, that AAA companies then learn from. But then, of course, the wheel turns and it goes the other way too, right? Absolutely. Because AAA companies have resources that allow them to um, attempt different kinds of experiments and to lay the foundations for things that indies would never be able to do. And AAA is not short of intelligent, skilled, passionate, talented people. Yeah, everyone so th- just plays
0: games at the end of the day, and everyone—if if you're, regardless of if it's indie or AAA—if you're working for a video game company, you will love video games, and you will obviously be seeking out new and interesting ways of doing things.
1: Exactly, so, but I think I think this is why the ecosystem is so important, and why having big tentpole productions and also having um, uh, crazy wild-eyed indies is, is so important to the health of the uh,
0: of the art. And, and I, I'm assuming you can't uh, you can't talk about anything like what you might be doing or anything yet.
1: I can't, but um, people I think can probably do some um, intelligent detective work around the details that have been announced.
0: Yeah, and, and is it uh, has anything started yet? Have you actually done anything yet? Because you said no. this has been brewing for a while.
1: I've, I've had some preliminary chats, uh, but the actual contract kicks off in um, January and is likely to continue until at least July.
0: Are you, are you uh, a little nervous?
1: Obviously. Uh, less so than I might be because, uh, not to sound like a cop, but, but they came to me. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I know that they like my stuff. Uh, I know we've worked together before. And uh, and they're just nice people. They're really smart and they're really nice. It's been my consistent uh, experience of of uh, practically everyone who I've had contact with uh, yeah. on the side. So, yeah, a little nervous. But but um, the big thing for me is, although I know they like my stuff and, and I know um, there's a distinctive thing that I can add, I am going in there with uh, one mouth and two ears. The whole reason I've taken this uh, year semi-off and why I, um, I, I wanted to be very, felt better is I wanted to learn from different people's perspectives and approaches. Absolutely, approach. yeah. And they've got 20 years of experience so you know i'm there for that
0: I'm, I'm curious you may not be able to talk about about this specifically but um because this is like you know they, they've asked you to come in and work as a, as a writer is will that be um how do i best phrase this would, would that be noticeable in game would it be like okay here's here's alexis's part
1: yes uh it, it, exactly so so and, and nobody's told me um i shouldn't say this i think i'm okay on it uh what they are doing is they are hiving off a, a chunk of content for me to make my own
0: oh interesting oh well, that's that's even more exciting
1: yeah so I'm, I'm, and it's, it's obviously much more fun so i'm working within the constraints and i have to respect the law uh and respect the law and uh obviously i'm going to be working with the constraints of whatever the uh production can give me in terms of, of art and assets um and so forth but um i i'm used to uh, in writing terms eating what i kill
0: uh it's uh text is a very very versatile medium absolutely yeah um you, you may have just given something away then so i'll edit around that a little bit but that's okay what did what did I say? You said you have to work within the constraints of. I did. Yes, you could edit that out.
1: Absolutely, I mean, no problem. Edit this out as well. You know, uh, uh, Mike explicitly said you can. Me and Patrick, and they'll do the maths.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: it's not been formally announced. So yes, please do edit that out. Thank you. What are now?
0: No problem. Um. Well, well, th- that was it really. I just, I just thought that'd be a nice thing to add on because it's a, it's a big. A big exciting step for you, and uh, a lot of people seem very excited about it. So I, I wish you all the best with it, Alexis. Yeah,
1: thank you. And, and uh, if you, if you, I, I don't know if you do follow up interviews, but I should be able to talk a bit more about the detail of it, um, sort of bid next year. So if at any point you want to do follow up. Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that'd be really interesting just to see the experience. I think that'd be quite a nice. A nice kind of follow the the journey through it and see how it goes. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, that, that's it. Enjoy the rest of your day, Alexis. Thanks very much for, for taking those couple of minutes. Okay, speak you. I'll speak to you later. Bye-bye.